All right, guys, we have Nick Stageberg here, owner of Black Swan Real Estate. Nick, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, absolutely, man. Welcome to the virtual studio here. What you got going on today? Fill us in. Oh, uh, things are always busy. I mean, last week was kind of a crazy week. We had four big closings. We closed on a, a new construction loan for the last phase in our ground up you know, townhome subdivision. We closed on two apartment buildings, and then we closed on a big cash out refi. So it's, that's not normally uh, what our week looks like, but but last week was an exceptionally busy week. So not much going on in your world, to say the least. <laughs> so so let's let's rewind it back a little bit. So let's talk about how Black Swan came to be. What do you guys do? What do you specialize in? We'd love to hear your story there. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I had a whole career in technology, about 15 years in tech. I have a, a bachelor's degree in computer science and a bachelor's degree in ministry. And you know, had the the great fortune to get at the ground, get into the ground floor of a you know one tech startup that went from a million venture capital to 100 million in the private equity sale over the course of nine years. And then you know, had the privilege to lead a startup for the Mayo Clinic, creating a software development a consultancy group. And we went from just a, a handful of people to 13 teams of engineers that I was you know leading. That was doing about a, a third of all new development for uh, for the enterprise. And that was in about three years. So that was quite a ride as well. And then, uh, you know, all along the way, you know, if you go Google, you know, what to invest in and stuff, you know, real estate is the thing that's kind of always the top of the list. So, you know, I'd buy one house, uh, you know, one year and two houses the next year is kind of a, I don't know, a side gig or, or something like that. Just, uh, you know, doing the, the tech thing by day and the real estate thing by night. And then, you know, along the way, investors, they, you know, would see, I don't know, a picture on Facebook or something like that. So, hey, you know, how can I get involved in this sort of thing? And, and I don't know, it's just kind of all organically came about. So real estate's our main thing now. Uh, you know, my wife is a, a physician uh, trained here at the Mayo Clinic, and you know, she's kind of stepped back from, from her medical practice, does full-time real estate with me as uh, you know, kind of my full partner in the business. And I've kind of stepped back from the IT thing as well. And uh, we just love doing the, the real estate thing and, and serving investors. So uh, we've got about you know a third of a billion in assets under management now today. So it's just kind of slowly and then quickly organically grown into this pretty cool thing that uh, that we get the privilege to do and, and and privilege to serve so many people. Wow. I appreciate you sharing and congratulations on all the success so far. Now, let's rewind it back cuz I want to make sure that people that are in the 9 to 5 are still creating some cash flow in their world that want to get real estate exposure. Everyone thinks it's pretty easy like, "Oh, invest in real estate." But let's talk about that journey of working a job while also being able to invest in real estate? Were you doing that remotely? Were you doing that hands-on? Why don't you share that experience? Very hands-on. You know, my wife and I were, were both people who don't mind doing a, a little bit of, of hard work. My wife was carrying our first child as she was laying ceramic tile in our, our first kind of, you know, purposeful purchased uh, investment property. And, you know, we did <laughs> everything you can do to a house, I think, uh, you know, our, ourselves at least once just to you know, have some firsthand knowledge and know just how difficult, you know, a, a job is to do. And that is very much what it looks like, you know, for years, I would clock in at my my nine to five, and then go, you know, work from 5pm to midnight, you know, building that portfolio. I really can't recommend enough that people do at least a little bit of sweat equity just to, you know, at least roll some paint, you know, do, do something yourself to have, you know, a little bit of core competence, a little bit of understanding of what it takes to, to lead these people. And, and you nailed it. I think a lot of people, they, they hear a podcast and they think that real estate investment is this, you know, passive activity. You know, I want passive wealth, at least in residential real estate, nothing could be further from the truth. It's an active business. It's, it's just like running a restaurant or, or any other business. Like you have customers and they want to talk to you and they have problems and you have employees or, or contractors at least, and they have problems and you need to solve all these problems. And some of the worst you know, messes we've had to you know, help solve in, in real estate is, is when someone tried to make it a passive thing. And, oh, we're not going to 
we're not going to check in on the property. We're not going to, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're going to hire someone that, you know, we don't check on to go fix the problem. The problem doesn't actually get fixed. It becomes a big problem. So it was uh, many years of just really, uh, really hard work. It was a lot of fun. I mean, I enjoy swinging a hammer on a house. So it wasn't like drudgery for me to, you know, clock out at my day job and then go clock in at the real estate job. One pro tip I'll, I'll share that, uh, Maybe we're doing this before it was cool, but I did something called reverse telecommuting. So, uh, you know, I made sure my boss was on board with it, understood what was going on. But when I would need to do my my office work for my real estate stuff, I'd do that, you know, like at my day job. And I was frequently, I'd you know, show up you know, early so I could get the right number of hours in and everything. So I would do my, my real estate office work at my office. You know, I've got a bunch of kids, hard to get that office work done when I'm at home with the kids and the wife. And then when I'd have a meeting, I would dial into that meeting and go out and do my road work because there's a lot of real estate work you can only do during business hours. I have this little Plantronics headset I have on all the time. So I dial into my work meeting. I called it work work. I'd, I'd dial into my day job and do whatever I need to do in that meeting, but then be driving to the paint store to talk to the manager that was only there during regular business hours. And that helped me kind of do that dance. So for you know many years, for probably about six or seven years, you know, I was working full time. And kind of doing full-time real estate, and there at the end we had a portfolio of you know millions, you know probably about twenty or so units that we were very actively managing all the renovations and acquisitions and management and maintenance tickets. I had the bag of tools in my vehicle while I was leading about a hundred people in corporate America. Wow! And what does the cash flow look like on about twenty units? So I want I want people to get a feel of what it looks like because is that enough to step away from your day job? Did that replace your income? Why don't you share a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So that, that's exactly what it looked like. So we're in the Midwest, you know, it's a little bit more affordable. You know, an average door here today costs maybe $200,000 for, you know, kind of a, a class C and not, not super nice property, but not a, not a bad one. And we might cash flow that uh, $500 per month if we are actively managing everything. So we're doing our own maintenance tickets, we're doing our own property management everything we're doing ourselves. So kind of trying to squeeze everything you possibly can out of it. If you have someone doing your maintenance, doing your property management, you might get you know, $100 a month or something out of that door. So at the end of the day, with those 20 doors, we're making a little under 100000 per year in net cash flow. But for most people, you know, we, we work with a ton of people who are wanting to, to get in the game and they have this illusion that they can cash flow their way to financial freedom. And it's just not true. Like if you do the numbers, it doesn't work that way. Equity is what makes you rich. So, you know, we have a Burr business model. That's kind of what we we're doing before there was a, a word for it. And the the total cash that we've gotten from our cash out refis dwarfs all of the cash we have ever made on our entire portfolio combined. I'm going I'm to say that a second time because that's so critical for people to understand. So we'll make improvements to a property. We will, you know, put a, a quality tenant in place, we'll you know get premium rents and we'll we'll get say 200 bucks a month in cash flow instead of 100 bucks a month in cash flow. But then, you know, every few years we can go do a cash out refi and we can get, you know, tens of thousands of dollars at the closing table from a cash out refi on that same property. It's 10 times more cash than you will ever get from cash flow. And people they get focused on that cash flow, hey, I uh, you know, I, I call it the valley. They get where they've got five or six doors and there's just enough going on. That there's always a hassle. There's always a tenant that has a problem or a unit that needs to be turned over and they're getting all of, you know, a hundred bucks per door per month. So what is that? You know, five or 600 bucks a month, you know, six grand a year or something like that. Like it's not going to get you out of your day job. And people I think have really poor, you know, uh, just, they, they, the essence of unhappiness is unmet expectations. And so mm-hmm. they somehow have gotten this expectation that they're going to cash flow their way out of their day job. Unless you are making 30,000 a year or something like that, like you're just not going to get there. We frequently work with, you know, physicians, I'd say 
physicians and other high-income professionals, dentists, attorneys, CPAs, they're probably 80% of our investors, you know, they're replacing a $300,000 income. Well, we'll do the math. Like how many, how many doors do you need to have to replace a $300,000 income with cash flow? It's a lot of doors and you're, you're probably not going to get there. So equity is what makes you rich and you really need to just be, be focused on the long game there. I'm so glad that you brought that up because that was a big point that I wanted to drive home because the fact it's literally free money, right? You put the sweat equity in it at first, as long as you get a good deal. And then this money just <laughs> arrives out of nowhere. And then, you know, you work with your bank, you get the money out, you go buy more deals if that's what you want to do. Yes. Now, absolutely. how have you seen that strategy shift a little bit in, over this last year when interest rates started going up? Tell us a little bit more about that dynamic and how that changes the strategy. It's absolutely a headwind. So it's easy to get these big cash out refis when interest rates are going down. It's, it's harder to get those big cash out refis when, when interest rates are going up. But the business model really hasn't changed. So again, we've got about a third of a billion in assets under management. We have zero variable rate debt on that entire portfolio, which is which is kind of unusual. It's all fixed rate debt. I think our shortest, our note that expires the soonest is still four years away. So we've got a very long runway for us to, like, if you think about it this way, if your business plan is to sell, like a lot of stars need to align for you to get a good outcome for a sale. We have an indefinite hold period. We've never sold an asset. We just need one good day sometime in the next four years to be able to hit our cash out refi. That good day is probably going to accompany a black swan event. So, you know, something that's totally unpredictable. There's suddenly nuclear war. I don't know what, and interest rates plummet. That's your day to go refi everything. And you shouldn't, you know, celebrate those, those negative events, but typically the fed, you know, drops interest rates, treasury rates, you know, kind of plummet when those, those bad events happen. And they tend to happen just often enough that if you're getting, you know, five, we, we typically have five-year debt on all of our properties, five-year fixed debt, and we just need to hit that cash out refi, you know, sometime in that next five-year period. So it's an incredibly forgiving model. Even if interest rates triple between when we originated the loan and when we hit our cash out refi, if five years go by, just the debt pay down alone and a, a tiny bit of organic appreciation from, from rent growth and stuff, uh, will get us to a situation where we're not going to be stuck, where we don't have to you know, bring money to the table to, to hit our next cash out refi. There are some people out there, a, a lot of people actually in our in our industry, in the multifamily industry who've gotten variable rate debt, you know, like nine months ago, we got loans at like 3.0% fixed. We could have gotten loans at like 2.0% variable, but we said, you know, we're gonna, our future selves are going to thank our, our, our present selves for getting that higher rate debt today that maybe isn't quite as lucrative today. Maybe we have to raise a little more money, put, a, put down a large down payment at that higher interest rate, but we're going to thank ourselves for having that 3.0% fixed rate debt. And that's that's exactly what's happened. So it's easy to hit those cash out refis when interest rates are going down. It's, it's harder when, when rates are going up. But as long as you have a reasonably long-term fixed rate debt, you're never going to get stuck. It's an incredibly forgiving business model. It's not that it's impossible to lose money with that, that Burr business model, but it's really difficult. So your typical real estate syndication or lots of people out there, they're in a five-year hold period. It's a flip model. We're going to go paint the countertops and paint the cabinets and paint the tubs. And then we got to we gotta sell this thing before the, the, the renovations wear out. And you can easily get stuck with an asset that is difficult to sell and suddenly looks pretty ugly because you didn't put in the, the, the real work. You didn't, you didn't do actual value add on that asset. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people in our industry who are in that situation and going to be kind of stuck here in the next in the next year or two because they haven't they haven't you know thought that thought that far ahead with our business model. Yeah, you just have to have one good day in in, in any five year span to get your cash out refi, and, and you're going to be okay. That's a great segue into what I wanted to ask you. So, what's the vision of Black Swan Real Estate? What's the long term vision? What's where, where are you trying to take all of this? 
Yeah. So anyone out there who's gotten financial freedom, like they have to have a bigger why. And I think most people, they're kind of striving, yearning for for financial freedom. You know, having everyone says it's either ten thousand a month or a hundred thousand a year. That's always the number everyone says. Doesn't matter if they're currently living on much more, but that's always the number people say. Right. And then they get there, and it's I don't know, it's disappointing, or it's you know, you have that that astronaut conundrum where you know you, you've gone to the moon, you've achieved this thing, you've worked for it for ten years, and it's not quite what uh, you know what you what you hoped it might be. And you have to do something uh, bigger. I'm a, I'm a huge Tony Robbins fan, and you know, he's a big mentor of mine. And certainly, you know, he specializes in the astronauts problem. And he he encourages you to just think big, to think really big, to think crazy big, write these things down. And, and they have a strange way of becoming true. So so just a few years ago, you know, we had a goal. Uh, well, we had a few goals. So we wanted to 100x our business, which which we've done in, in just a three-year time period. We wanted to... Uh, build an assisted living home for my mom, which we did. Uh, we wanted to build a school for our children, which we did. We found a, an abandoned 40,000 square foot office building and got a bunch of parents and teachers in there and sweat equity and, you know, rolling paint and ripping up carpet. Uh, kids just moved in a couple of months ago. You know, our, our fund, 5% of the profit goes to charity. 5% goes to our staff in a profit share. Our fund has no fees. We get no profit whatsoever until our investors have gotten a full return of capital. You know, I, I think that if, if we're successful, we will change capitalism in some small way, the same way like Warren Buffett has changed capitalism. Like Warren Buffett made it not okay to keep your money. You know, there's the, the Buffett pledge. What if every private equity fund out there had to have a give back? And the first question anyone asked when they thought about investing in your, your opportunity was, well, what's your give back? What difference are you making? Like how much good could happen? Just just 5%, just, it's a minuscule amount but it could make the world of difference. So that's, that's kind of what gets us up in the morning. That's our big why is to to bend the moral arc of capitalism towards justice in in some small way if you know if we can. And we're already starting to see a few a few glimmers of that. We're starting to see more you know real estate syndicators and, and private equity fund managers out there that don't have all these fees because you know our investors are saying, hey, Nick and Elaine don't charge all these fees. Why do you charge all these fees? And you know, isn't this a big disalignment of incentive? And then finally, you know. We think that we get the privilege to make the world a better place to live in the most tangible sense of the word. You know, th this might be a little bit of an uncomfortable story, but in our line of work, we interact with people that can be at a crossroads, at a turning point in their life. One building we recently purchased is this beautiful historic building, 100-year-old building in a, in a historic neighborhood, really prestigious neighborhood. But, but this building had not been renovated in 100 years. And so whatever assumption you can make about that building is, is probably pretty accurate. You know, one of the units in that building, the tenant had not paid rent in two years. This was during the, the COVID, you know, eviction moratorium. And the property manager just kind of threw their hands up in the air and said, oh, we can't do anything here. There was drugs and prostitution, you know, everything going on in this unit. And this went on for years. We took over the property. And the day after we closed, we, you know, we went and we knocked on their door and said, hey, we're here to do a a safety inspection. You know, we understand there's a bunch of safety hazards present in this unit. We actually had to go back and get a, a bucket. We filled up we filled up a, a gallon bucket with with drug paraphernalia from that unit. We filled up a truck with torches and tanks and you know every sort of safety hazard you know you could possibly manage, imagine. We said you know you know we're we're legally required to return this personal property to you if, if you if you want to claim it. You know we'll make sure the authorities are there when that happens so that 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 happens appropriately. And by the way, we're going to be back tomorrow and the next day. And the next day, 
until we're able to serve you. We support this you know, drug rehab program here. We're not making any judgments about you. We love you. We want to serve you. You know, Here's some contact information. We're happy to give you a ride. We're happy to help make that phone call. We know it's a hard phone call to dial. We're happy to dial the phone for you, whatever we can do to serve you, but we will not give up until we have served you. And it took three days. It took three days. And she got into drug rehab. And she's, I mean, just, uh, you know, who knows what will happen over the long-term course of her life, but but it's in a better place today. Most people who do this, like the tenants are like a commodity. It's a little distasteful to me. And we think that these are the people that we're here to serve. And the crazy thing is doing the right thing is actually the profitable thing to do. So we're going to, we're going to double the value of this building. Like that unit was a $600 a month unit. When we got done with our renovations, it's a $1,100 a month unit. Serving people, actually caring about people, like like these tenants don't leave. There's no turnover. They're, like, they, they're looking out for the building for us. It's a very profitable thing to do. It's a very fulfilling thing to do. So if all we did was make money, we would think we were, I mean, that would not be a motivating thing to us at, at this point. And at some point in that journey, you get to a place where you know more money is not going to make any difference in your life. And you have to be after something much bigger than that. So, yeah, that's that's what gets us up in the morning. That's that's our vision, and that's where we hope to lead the industry in some tiny way. That's amazing. And and so, what are the like? What's the growth strategy and the marketing strategy? How are you able to get folks to join your fund? And and you mentioned you know eighty percent of folks are kind of in this medical space, service based industries. But what's that strategy there from a marketing perspective? Yeah. So. It's a lot of this. We really don't do a lot of uh, you know paid advertising. We just go out on podcasts. We do tons of teaching and speaking. You know, we try to do at least something every every week, and sometimes we're doing something every day. Just kind of putting ourselves out there and, and telling our story and, and encouraging others to to join that story if that's something that they want to do. We've got a website, meetblackswan.com. We've got you know a link to all of our free educational content. We've got a course that's a a pay what you can model. And 100% of the revenue from that goes to charity. We do a ton of just just give back in whatever whatever way seems fun that day. You know that 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 program I mentioned where that woman you know is in rehab. We're remodeling their kitchen right now, and so you know here's a fun thing we can do with the course money this month. Just encouraging people to to get in touch with us, and and we really start with uh, you know, I guess we kind of lead with our hearts. And if if someone senses there's kind of alignment there, it's you know, it's, it's not like we really need to, to sell anything. Like just people get it. They want to invest. So, you know, people say things like you're the group we've always been looking for and just have been able to find. Like that's kind of how some of those phone calls start. And uh, that tells me we're doing something right. So yeah, so that's, that's kind of what that looks like is just, just kind of putting yourself out there, just leading with value. Uh, you know, I've got a, you know, a link to my calendar right there on meetblackswan.com. Anyone can just go block 15 minutes on my calendar. If they just want to chat about anything, if they want to build a school in their community and find out what the heck did that look like to buy an abandoned office building and renovate it into a school? It's a bit of a bit of a journey. I mean, if someone wants to talk about how they can have a give back in their private equity fund, if some or someone is you know considering investing with us, we just kind of put ourselves out there and and show up for people. I mean, you can go spend you know twenty thousand a month on Facebook and YouTube ads, but I don't know. That's just not that's not the way we want to grow. And you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. So you know, we don't really do any outbound calls. If people call us, great. Or if you know, an opportunity presents itself great, but uh, we just kind of are receptive to whatever the universe brings us. This is entrepreneurship done the right way. And I, I appreciate you bringing that perspective because not, not many people do that. And there's room for profit and charity simultaneously at the same time. So thank you for all that you do. Thank now, you. even though there's a lot of charity going on, this obviously is a for-profit business. Tell us a little bit more about that. So I know, because like, I'm assuming that you quit your job in tech. Now you're doing this, you know, around this stuff full time. 
How are you personally making money? Um, are your, is your money in the deals? What does that look like? Yeah. So this is another kind of, I don't know, passion of mine. So it's pretty common in the you know real estate, private equity fund syndication world. The goal, I think, is to put together this deal where you don't do anything and you work one hour a week. And like, I couldn't disagree with that model more. I think entrepreneurship is something you work at. I think, you know, if you think about, you know, people you admire like Elon Musk, he's working 100 hours a week and that's something that he's passionate about. So we we work our hearts out uh, and we vertically integrate. So we it's the opposite of trying to do a deal where you don't do anything and you just collect a check. Like we want to control and own as many parts of that process as possible. So we own a real estate brokerage. We're in the top uh, one third of 1% of real estate sales teams in Keller Williams. We do a little bit of real estate sales. We own a property management company. And uh, that's actually the most important thing that we do. We're a management first organization. You know, this is just advice any real estate investor. You can screw up every other part of the deal. But if you get the property management right, like that property is going to get a little bit better each year. You're going to get good tenants. They're going to take good care of the property. And conversely, you can get a great deal on the property, do an amazing remodel, get an amazing loan, just knock it out of the park, but then you screw up the management piece and things are going to go downhill very quickly. So we're very much a management first organization. You know, we have a construction management team. We're managing about 40 different job sites right now. We've got an in-house maintenance team. We're working on the the cleaning piece. We have some in-house, we have some vended. Cleaning is a tougher one for us to manage. I think it is for most property management companies. Right now we're working on launching an appliance company, you know, so we're constantly just looking at, you know, what are our top line items that we spend money on? Well, we're going to spend like half a million dollars on appliances this year. So, I mean, we're, we're getting to the point where we just, we really need to own an appliance company. You know, the vendors that show up, sometimes they're not clean cut or they don't really do their job well. Or they ding up the appliances. So we actually have to send one of our people to kind of babysit that appliance delivery person. So at that point, we might as well just own the darn company and just have our person delivering the appliance. It's hard work. We have about 27 full-time employees and probably about 100 people that are doing something for us somewhere at this moment. It's, it's a ton of work managing those people. And so it's a, it's a big liability having a big payroll, but we make a lot of money at it. So, you know, all these things, you know, the property management company is not really a huge profit center. That's, that's more of a break even just to kind of make our business, you know, a business plan happen. And we do generate a tremendous amount of profitability from the real estate sales team. So for example, every single one of our tenants has a clause in their lease. If they want to terminate their lease during the, the high season, when it's easy for us to replace that tenant, they can terminate their lease for free. If we help them buy a home, if we represent them as a, as an agent, which is a win-win because we end up recruiting these really high quality tenants that that's the main reason they rent from us is because they want to buy a home or are thinking about buying a home. You know, the truth is most of the time they don't, but they love having that option. There's so many profitability points in those vertical integration pieces that, that generate a lot of profit for us. And then just to just to be very concrete, so our fund, we get no fees whatsoever. We have no profit whatsoever until our investors get a full return of capital. And then it's a, a 50-50 split after that. So just to run through a very concrete example, we recently purchased a new 52 apartments. We purchased that in August of last year. We purchased that for $9.8 million and March of this year. So that's six months later, we had gotten an appraisal at 12.7 million or 13 million, something like that. The bank kind of didn't believe how crazy good our outcomes were. So they, they sort of handicapped our cash out refi. We should have gotten a full cash out refi at that point. It was a partial cash out refi. So hundred percent of that, you know, those proceeds went to our investors. So fast forward today, our investors have gotten probably a third of their, their capital back on that deal. We're about to finish that cash out refi. So with any luck, we'll get a cash out refi at somewhere in the ballpark of like uh, 15 million is our uh, value of that asset today. Again, we bought that for 10 million about a year ago. So we'll have just to to make the simple math, uh, we'll assume we have not returned any capital so far. We've not paid down any debt. 
So we have to pay down that original $8 million loan out of a $12 million proceeds. That's that's a $15 million value at an 80% LTV. So we have we have $4 million left. $2 million of that goes to return the $2 million down that our investors put on that property. Then there's $2 million of profit left. So $1 million goes to our investor, $1 million goes to Elaine and I. So that's how Elaine and I have made a million dollars on that deal in the last year. And that's how our investors have made a million dollars on that deal in the last year. So I kind of blasted through those numbers. I, I hope that made sense. That super helpful. Yeah, it's super helpful. I was, that was going to be that was going to be my next question. Was like, what's the structuring of the compensation or the investment? How investors are getting their dollars back over time? Is it unpredictable? Is it scheduled? Is it cash flow monthly? It might be kind of a service level dumb question, but that's no. my that's my first question. And then and then also maybe a, to tail off that. You probably get this a lot. What's the maximum investment ability and what's the minimum? What's the and, and the in between? And where do you see average that average out at? Yeah, great question. So as I said, our, our structure, it's it's been kind of the same structure for for many years, but but uh, you know, my wife and I, we get no profit whatsoever from the deal. We kind of run at a, a break-even essentially, um, even with our, our vertical integration components until our investors have gotten a full return of capital and a 50-50 split after that. There's no fees whatsoever. So most real estate syndications and, and private equity funds, they've got a, a litany of fees, a, an acquisition fee, a capital event fee, a disposition fee, a, a loan recourse fee, a fee fee. And if you if you do those numbers, it usually adds up to about a 50-50 split. But the, the difference is they get paid on the front end of the deal, whereas you know my wife and I, we get paid on the back end of the deal. It's a huge difference, a huge alignment of incentives there. And then we also sign on the loan, which again, most most syndicators, most fund managers, they kind of refuse to sign on the loan. They refuse to have that skin in the game, so to speak. So that's a, a huge way that, that we align our incentives as well. Um, in a typical investment, we, we tell our investors to target a five-year time frame to return capital. Uh, historically, it's never taken that long, more like three years. And in some of those you know, out-of-the-park home run deals, we're able to return capital in, in just a single year. But those are not the expectation that we set. Those are those you know, rare home run deals. You know, in your your first year, you won't get any you know any return of capital. So again, a lot of you know, fund managers, syndicators, they'll uh, over raise capital to simulate cash flow, which is kind of kind of insane if you think about it. But you'll see opportunities where it's like cash flow day one. But intuitively, that that should be a little bit crazy, right? Because you're deploying that capital, you're uh, stabilizing operations, you're vacating units, renovating units, you're putting money into the property and running up a lot of expenses. Like, how are you generating cash flow? You're you're not. You're just kind of window dressing. So the actual cash flow from the property is what what goes back to our investors. So you know, year two maybe you get ten percent of your capital back. Year three maybe you get another ten percent of your capital back. Let's say at the end of year three we start hitting some of those cash out refis in that in that round of the fund. So maybe you get another you know sixty or seventy or eighty percent of your capital back. So you've gotten almost all, if not all, your capital back by that by that time frame. And now you're getting into uh, um, that, that infinite rate of return. You've gotten all of your money out of the deal but you stay in that deal forever. And uh, the people who kind of get it, they're just like, really? And they, they might ask about 15 times, you know, like, what's the catch here? This this seems too good to be true. And it's true that, you know, my wife and I, we forego a lot of compensation. You know, our, our most recent fund, just for this year alone, we waived about $980,000 in, in compensation that a, a fund manager would traditionally receive. But we just think it's the right thing to do. And I mean, I think Amazon did pretty well running a break even for 10 years. And that's that's kind of our goal. And that's that's one reason why you know, we've grown so quickly is because we offer, I think, you know, an opportunity that's unique in the marketplace. That's kind of a kind of a no-brainer for someone who wants to get involved. It's also really advantageous from a tax perspective because your typical business plan involves a you know a flip. So you have to 
you have like a five-year business plan, but you maybe sell that asset a, a couple of years later to kind of maximize the compensation for the general partner. Again, that, that disalignment of incentives and in some of those traditional deal structures, you know, we have none of that disalignment. So we, we hold that asset forever and you don't have to recapture the depreciation that you get, you know, in, in year one or the first few years of that, that investment opportunity. So a lot of our investors, you know, talking about, you know, the amount that they invest, it's a minimum of a hundred thousand. A lot of our investors, maybe they, you know, they own a medical practice, for example, they've had a good year. They have a, you know, $1.3 million capital gain. They'll say, okay, I'll put, you know, 1.3 million into the current round of your fund so I can get that depreciation back. We try to get a dollar for dollar depreciation amount on each investment dollar. We don't always get there, but uh, that's the goal. So we're able to wipe out the the income tax for many of our investors. And so I would say we have a lot of investors that will make you know pretty substantial seven-figure investments, not just for the tax advantages, they, they love the returns, but they might calibrate that investment amount you know, to get those tax advantages because they're, they're going to get that depreciation and then not need to recapture it for a very, very long time. So some of our investors, you know, are, you know, nine figure net worth individuals and they, they see how crazy advantageous this, this structure is for being that tax situation. Then other people, they just want to get in the game and they sense that, you know, spiritual alignment, maybe that $100,000 investment is a bit of a stretch for them. We were very, you know, empathetic to that situation. We're always happy to, you know, have a call with someone and, and talk about that and make sure that they feel safe, you know, investing with us. And, and we love to help people get started on that real estate investment journey. That's, you know, in, in a lot of ways, I actually really love talking to those, you know, 100K investors more than talking to those, you know, seven figure investors, because we, I feel like we just have such an impact on those, on those people and their investing journey. So, so that's kind of what that looks like in the investment amounts that, that most people invest. I'd say we tend to have kind of a, a larger investment amount than, you know, there's a lot of syndicators out there that are raising money, you know, 25 or 50,000 at a time. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather have a very rich relationship with a smaller group of people. We had um, we had six people, three couples fly out and just visit with us for you know half a day yesterday, come tour some of our properties. These are friends of one of our other investors that said, hey, you just need to fly out and just meet these people and just see what they're doing and, and go see that apartment building, that story that I conveyed earlier. Like that's so much fun. And, you know, that group might invest, you know, a couple million dollars with us. And, and if you're cont contemplating, a, you know, a seven figure investment, we're always happy to have people fly out and just meet with us and meet our team and see the properties and everything. I would, I would rather have that, you know, richer relationship with a smaller number of people. And so that's very much kind of what our model is geared towards. That, that's so amazing. And you're doing it. You're doing it so right, man. And it, it, it fires me up to see people doing this while making, you know, serious wealth, but also still doing things the right way. And I'm glad you brought up the tax thing because that was something I wanted to make sure we got to and, and you brushed over it really well, is that a lot of people do this to depreciate the property, to kick the tax can down the road. Because a lot of people, I'm sure, as you said, physicians and higher income earners, even on W-2, they can lower their tax liability through doing this stuff. A lot of people think real estate's just for the cash flow, but we literally just walked through how the cash flow is so minimal, but you could still make tons and tons of money through forcing the appreciation of the property and also depreciating it at the same time. So Nick, this has been amazing. Um, any closing thoughts on this? We, we went over our time, with, but we were so grateful to do so because you were just continuing to deliver a lot of value. A couple of things that we want to touch on just when we start. One, some closing thoughts. And then two, this is called the Consistency Wins Podcast. So we would love to know what consistency means to you. Oh man, consistency is everything. I love going to the gym. I'm in the gym five days a week. Anyone that you know lifts, they know that it's all about consistency. You can lift a small weight, you know, more times and you get a way better outcome than lifting a heavy weight, you know, once a month or on an inconsistent basis. And that's the case with everything that we do. So, you know, your relationships with your tenants, 
it is a consistency game. Like you need to answer the phone when people call. The the rental rate does not matter nearly as much as when they have a maintenance ticket. Like they need to know, they need to feel that you have their back and you're going to pick up the phone when they call. Same thing with our investors. We we just try to we try to answer the phone. We try to consistently show up for people. You know, most investors they really they they fear risk of loss much more than they value some potential gain. And it's it's very much a, a trust based decision. It's it's an emotional decision. And you know, we we just try to make sure that our investors know that that we have been doing this for a long time. We haven't changed much in that time. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. You know, your your track record and your consistency, your ability to just show up for people is everything in this business. And it's it's really that way in just about every business. I think that might be a little bit more the case in our business because you know, hopefully we're building these, you know, 10 and 20 year relationships with tenants, with investors, at least, at least with our business model. It's a, it's a non-transactional business model. It's a very relationship based business model, but it's all about consistency. Some of the more sophisticated investors that we do business with that have, you know, millions of dollars in hundreds of investments, they'll just like pick up the phone and call me from time to time to see if I answer the phone, see if I can, you know, give them an answer to a question or something like that. They're, you know, they're, they're having fun, maybe testing or something like that a little bit. And those are the people who get it. Those are the really sharp investors. And they know that the person who is consistent is the person that's going to have the the good outcome in the long run. So, I mean, consistency, I think, drives absolutely everything that we do in our business. Nick, this has been great, man. Ton of value. How can our listeners, I know you've alluded to it a little bit before. How can our listeners follow you? How can they check out the, the Black Swan group? What's the story there? And, and how can we follow your journey? Well, thank you. If anyone here is listening, they want to, you know, connect with us, uh, learn more, you know, just become part of that story. They can go to meetblackswan.com and there's a link to my calendar. If you want to block a time on my calendar, again, we have a pay what you can model for our course. We call that the the cookbook. So we just give away our whole business model. If, if someone wanted to put us out of business with our business model, I would feel successful about that. I'm sure the same way Elon Musk might feel someone put him out of business with their own electric car. And then we kind of joke that the private equity fund is like the restaurant. So if you read the cookbook and you're like, man, this looks really good, but this is a lot of work. I'm just going to you know, have the chef that wrote the cookbook prepare it for me. Well, you just head on over to the private equity fund and invest there. We do have a, we do have an investment opportunity open right now. It's going to close in about 60 days. It's a $30 million fund. We've got about 5 million left. So I think, I think it'll probably close here the next month, maybe two months. So if you, you'd love to get involved there, you go ahead, you can sign up for our, our community hour. We just go live and, you know, answer questions and speak to the state of the market, that sort of thing. You can connect with us on Facebook and just ask us questions on Facebook. If you'd like to, you know, get an answer to a burning real estate question, we've got a community there on Facebook. So there's lots of options, lots of ways to connect with us. You just go to meetblackswan.com. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, well, Nick, we really appreciate this time. I know our listeners did, and we hope you have a great rest of your week and, and I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. Thank you so much.